Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. We are almost done with these season outlooks for 2023. We have, Stephen, I think two teams remaining. Is that right? Two, three? Two after this one. We'll, we'll do two this one after this two one. More, okay, so. so two plus. Uh, we've got the Seattle Storm today. Um, in 2022, they went 22 and 14. Good for fourth in the, in the WNBA. Net rating also fourth in the WNBA, outscoring their opponents by 5.2 points per 100 possessions. They finished sixth in offense, scoring 102.6 points per 100 possessions, and third in defense, allowing 97.4 points per 100 possessions. They defeated the Washington Mystics pretty handily, two zip in the first round, two games to none, and then lost to the Las Vegas Aces in a very entertaining 3-1 to decision in the second round, Stephen. What comes to mind when you think of the 2022 Seattle Storm? Um, I would say the the second best team in the WNBA probably, or uh, in that neighborhood of sub aces contenders, you know, right there with the Chicago Sky. I, I mean, I know Connecticut made the finals, but um, I feel like you know if you play a, a Connecticut Sky series or a Connecticut uh, Storm series a hundred times, you know, the Sun aren't making it out too often. I, I think of the Storm as probably you know, the second best team in, in the league last year. We were, we were kind of, ex- I think a lot of people were kind of expecting the Storm and the Aces to meet in the finals for much of the season. That that didn't happen, obviously, but it did kind of feel like that second round series was more of a finals than the actual finals, right? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, probably, uh, I guess, a bit disappointing for the team to only make it to the the second round, even though, again, you know, they, they lost to the eventual champs. No shame in that. But when you just think of this team as just sort of a, a semifinals team, relative to the expectations and and the ambitions of what this team wanted to accomplish both in the the Sue Bird send-off season and with Brianna Stewart's impending free agency in this past offseason. You know, I'm sure they really wanted to, to push themselves as close to contention as possible. And uh, a lot of roster moves coming into the season, of course, they tried to address their lack of athleticism and trading the number nine pick in the 2022 draft and Katie Lou Samuelson for Gabby Williams, a move that I think, you know, probably worked out better than I had anticipated. You know, they were only sixth in offense, um, but it wasn't really like, you know, one, one concern that, that I think we both had was how Gabby Williams would fit into that starting group. And if they would be able to, you know, score as well as the best teams in the league, you know, their starters scored great. They, their starters were a pretty good offense. It was just really, really, inept bench units that that dragged that offense down to sixth. Uh, and they tried to improve the roster depth a little bit with some very accomplished veterans towards the end of their careers. In Brian January and, and John Tell Lavender, of course, the midseason pickup of Tina Charles at the expense, of course, of uh, relegating a player who was probably in the driver's seat to win Defensive Player of the Year at that time in Ezie Magbiger. I think even those of us who are a little bit lower on what Charles might bring to the storm had higher expectations than, you know, what she actually ended up giving them in, in particular in the biggest moments against the best teams where she was really just not a factor at all against the aces, 44% true shooting offensively. And, you know, just didn't really fit their defensive concepts at all was, you know, giving a lot back on that end. And then of course, you know, January dealing with an injury all year was, was still basically the same player that she always has been defensively, but, was even more of kind of a, a, a very low usage, sort of hesitant to shoot, you know, didn't really assert herself offensively at all last year. 
Uh, we talked about at the beginning of the year how she might be an option to close games for them. That never really materialized into anything. It was evident pretty early on that Jontel Lavender was pretty much at the end of her career being a, a WNBA contributor. And honestly, even Sue Bird, like not the player that they needed her to be in the biggest moments against the Aces. One double-digit scoring game in that Vegas series. 33 points on 33 shooting possessions over four games. Like when Sue Bird was, you know, even a late 30s player in 2018 and 2020, you know, still a very capable kind of, a, you know, third star. And we, we just didn't really get that type of offensive performance from Bird. Not the finish that I think this team was hoping for, but kind of, you know, basically a, a fitting end because they just weren't as good as the Aces. It did seem like they kind of maybe, they, they took a few home run swings, maybe not home run swings necessarily, but they kind of invested heavily in those veterans and players who are definitely in the twilights of their respective careers in order to just squeeze one more championship out of that core. But in doing so, I mean, you watch them play against the Aces. The Aces were the better team. You know, like you said, the Storm could have won that that game that ended up going. Christina Charles missed those those two free throws critically at the end of the game there. Um they, they was that the overtime game? game? Was that game three? Yes, that she yeah, the those? overtime game there, uh, which was a, which was honestly one of the best games I've ever seen. But the Aces won. They won the series because they were they were younger, they were more athletic, they were quicker, um, and they were just better at most respective positions. The era of you know the Storm just being completely dominant in the, in the Brianna Stewart, Sue Bird, and Jewel Lloyd era is that's obviously over now. But you, you could see them just they were just out of gas by the end there. The, those players that just had significantly more miles on their legs just couldn't keep up athletically so uh now we are here in 2023 after a pretty tumultuous offseason for the seattle storm and uh probably not going to be a very competitive team because they lost a lot yeah this is just i mean it goes without saying a completely different roster than last year's but worth noting just how how different it's going to be they'll be returning two of the 10 players from last season who broke 100 minutes for this team um jewel lloyd and ezzy magbiger will basically be the only players returning that were even kind of rotation or fringe rotation players like their entire roster basically is overhauled they will of course hopefully be getting mercedes russell back you know a player who has won championships with this team, you know, been a starter for this team, but wasn't around last year. Of course, they lost Brianna Stewart in free agency. Sue Bird retired. Brian January retired. Tina Charles will not be returning. Stephanie Talbot lost to LA in free agency. Jontel Lavender probably won't be playing in the WNBA this season, you would imagine. Epiphany Prince left in free agency. And Gabby Williams, we imagine, will be a victim of prioritization and... That's that's a lot of very good players that they, especially on, yeah. on the high end there, you know, they will be basically losing, you know, four starters from last season uh, by the end of the season. And then, you know, their, their first guard off the bench, their first wing off the bench. So a, a lot of new faces here. And they pivoted in a, a very different way than another team that lost four starters from last season. In, in this. We will not name. <laughs> okay, we won't name them. Um, so they... Went with a little bit of a different approach. They they signed some veterans in Sammy Whitcomb and Kia Nurse to protected contracts. They brought in uh, Yvonne Turner and Teresa Plaisance, uh, as well as they will be bringing over their 2022 second round draft pick, Jade Melbourne. Uh, they signed Arella Garantes, Kyla Charles, Jasmine Walker, and Ivana Doikic, um, a 25-year-old who played for Bologna, a player that we'll, we'll definitely get to, I think is pretty interesting here, so... 
you know, before we even kind of talk about what to expect from from the team and, and what the roster, the rotation will look like, I guess, what do you just think about this team's sort of initial pivot in the offseason after losing Brianna Stewart to free agency and Sue Bird retiring, you know, as we mentioned, kind of a totally diff- different direction than what uh, another team, your, your Chicago Sky, Eric, sorry to mention them, ended up doing. Uh, who, you know, they basically went all in on staying competitive, a little bit of a different approach for the storm. It was a different, it was a different approach. And if you look at the 2024 and 2025 draft classes, it's, it's hard not to like what the storm did. Honestly, Um, if you're comparing it to Chicago, like you said, they went all in, they uh, threw the kitchen sink at a lot of free agents and in turn, basically mortgaged their future, at least for the time being on staying competitive while the storm I mean, they're they're going all in on the draft. They're they're playing for lottery balls this season and maybe next season as well. We don't know for sure, but um, I think that's just a good approach, you know. Especially in the with the landscape of the WNBA currently, when there are there are basically two contending teams this year. We expect in the Aces and the Liberty, and then everyone else kind of playing for third. So, uh, Storm much closer to lottery contention than third. So I think it's 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 a good approach. Um, you know, they drafted some players who have very high upside, at least athletically speaking. They're going to be handing the keys to the point guard position, handing the keys of the point guard position, at least we think, to some younger international players who may or may not be anything. But it's it's a very low-risk play, at least developmentally speaking, Stephen, because if these players, you know, they don't turn out, you know, they have a lot of what you call reclamation projects on their roster. And if they don't work out, then, okay, you try again next year and you add another really high upside player in the draft. And if it doesn't work out next year, okay, well, you add another high upside player in the draft next year too. So this is what a rebuilding team really should be doing in the WNBA, in my opinion. Yeah, and honestly, the moves, some of the moves, the free agency moves kind of mirrored what the Sky were sort of heading towards, you know, signing Courtney Williams, Elizabeth Williams, Izzy Harrison to like one or two year deals. Like that's not too different than, you know, signing Kia Nurse and Sammy Whitcomb. You know, the big difference is just obviously the draft picks and, and Seattle still has all yeah. of their picks moving forward. I, I definitely understand the the perils of, you know, not fielding the most competitive team possible each year in the WNBA. But I think the Storm are, you know, a pretty healthy franchise in that regard. Like, I, I don't think they have to, you know, worry about one bad year. Um, and even, you know, by all accounts, they, they tried to be more competitive with this roster than, you know, without Brianna Stewart than they'll end up being. Like, even after Stewart announced she was uh, going to the Liberty. They were still, you know, reportedly in the mix for Courtney Vandersloot. And that probably alone would have made this much closer to, you know, a team that could maybe fight for third place. Like you said, you know, maybe they'd be in the, the Connecticut, Washington neighborhood. But I I like the free agent signings. I mean, I like the Sammy Whitcomb signing fine, you know, two years for a 34-year-old. Like, I, I get if you would maybe not be crazy about that one, but she'll basically be the only she might end up being the only player over 30 on this roster. I like the second draft flyers that that they picked up, you know, sort of the reclamation projects, Sorella Garantes, Jasmine Walker, Kyla Charles. Those players are all, you know, 25. Those are players that I think are worth sort of taking a look at, seeing if you maybe have something in them on a team that, you know, has a lot of open roster spots, as we'll get to. The Kia Nurse one, you know, maybe that's a little bit more confusing since she's just coming off a very serious ACL injury she missed all of last season so two years protected you know she was a decent enough contributor in her role in Phoenix that was a much more top heavy talent team than than this one you know this team honestly might maybe be closer to some of those New York Liberty years that 
the roster was a little less prepared to compete and, and we got some pretty tough Kia Nurseers in there. You know, they re-signed Ezzy as a reserved free agent, you know, gave her more money than they had to this coming season to sort of balance out what would be a huge payday if she hit restricted free agency next season. So, you know, that was a move a lot of people liked. Um, I, I guess the other thing that's worth considering is like not wanting to lose your other franchise player long-term. You know, I'm sure Jewel Lloyd is probably not that interested in playing on a, a a very bad team for a very long time, but you know, she's also got her rings already there, there's maybe been some speculation about whether she just wants to be the unambiguous number one on the team. Well, she'll definitely have that opportunity. She'll that, yeah. yeah. She'll, she'll get as many, you know, plays with the basketball in her hands as, as she can take here. So maybe she could find a slightly better talent situation to do that if given the chance, but they're going to hand the keys to her offensively and, you know, see how far uh, she can take them. So I guess, you know, She'll, she'll get that chance to kind of see how, how much she likes being the the 1A for sure. Now, in years past, there have been opportunities for Uloy to be that kind of 1A. And we have noted on this podcast before that it's not really something that I think she isn't, isn't that uh, level of player or wasn't at that time. But she is coming off, I think, maybe her worst season since her rookie year or since her sophomore year as a Storm. So maybe she's matured to the point where, you know, she's a little more patient with the basketball. She's more able to get other players involved there. But, you know, in this in the first year after the Subert era, obviously the Storm are going to be evaluating their point guard position pretty heavily. There are a few pretty decent point guards in the NCAA uh, upcoming draft classes that they may uh, be in play for in, in future drafts. But for now, it's going to be between Melbourne and Dojkic, I think. I guess you could make some arguments that, you know, Turner might be kept for a veteran presence. Uh, Whitcomb may be playing a little bit of point guard, although we saw how that worked out in New I, York. I think they're going to start Sammy Wickham. You think they're going to start, start, start Wickham? Yeah, I mean, she's kind of expressed how she wants to do a little bit more with the ball in her hands as a, you know, creator. She she plays some point guard in Australia. She plays some point guard for the Australian national team. You mentioned that she, she did it in New York to mixed success um but you know i think they'll basically start their their five veterans i, I would guess whitcomb lloyd kia nurse and then their two centers together uh, at, at least at the start of the season yeah at least at the start of the season maybe it is something where eventually you just kind of you know you're you're taking enough lumps and you hand the keys over to, to jade melbourne who i think will play a lot for sure and Melbourne and Whitcomb will probably play together a lot. Um, you know, they might even play some three-guard lineups with Jewel at, at the three. I think that might honestly uh, be a pretty good offensive group, maybe. You I know, agree. Whitcomb can obviously space the floor about as good as anybody on this roster. You know, not the initiator, the, the creator that you kind of hope for from the one, but I, I think she just does enough of it, and you're going to put the, the ball in Jewel Lloyd's hands a pretty decent amount, and maybe one as, as good of a shooter at that spot around Jewel as, as you can get. And of course she's, you know, not 20 years old, which Jade Melbourne is. So maybe that's another reason why uh, Wickham might be the option there. Okay. That's a good point. And, and I think if you're starting a season like this, I, I mentioned they might start the season by starting all their veterans and then maybe kind of phase that out a little bit as the season progresses and they inevitably fall out of contention. I think you do need to be careful during a rebuild like this because you, you do want to instill good habits in your young players, winning habits in your young players. And that may that may not mean like throwing them to the wolves right away. I mean, Melbourne, like you said, she's 20 years old, and this is going to be her first WNBA season. Um, Doikic, she's not currently in training camp, I don't think. She's 25. She's got a little bit more pro experience, but again, going to be a WNBA rookie. If these are the players you're investing in long-term to play 
a pretty important position in the WNBA, you want to make sure you're bringing them along correctly. And there's there's not a lot of reason to just start playing them 28 minutes a game right away if that means, you know, instilling good habits in them offensively and defensively. So I, I agree with that. Do you think, like, Yvonne Turner is going to make the team? Because maybe there's not much of a reason to keep both her and Whitcomb. If uh, it, what do you think? Yeah, if, if it were me, I think she would she would probably be on the outside of, of the run. There's just so many, uh, I think, kind of more more interesting options and more kind of higher upside plays. And, you know, if I think the case for Yvonne Turner making this team is just, you know, superseded by Sammy Whitcomb being here. Like what she could potentially bring to you as sort of a uh, veteran, sort of just kind of game manager type point guard. I just, I don't think you really need that if you also have, you know, this team has enough veterans. You know, this isn't the the 2020 Liberty where they're, they're sure. going to be playing eight rookies at a time or something like that. You know, I do think Doikic and, and per, excuse us if we're mispronouncing uh, her name, but I, I think she will probably end up playing more of the two at the WNBA level than she maybe did last season for Bologna. You know, she's just not that level of, of a creator, you know, basically an even assist to turnover player. You know, she's not really a super high value passer, not really that creative of a passer, unlike Jade Melbourne, who is an extremely creative uh, and ambitious passer and is going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, I think Doikic will be more of a, you know, kind of a, a combo guard. Maybe she plays alongside their other combo type, not quite a size. point guard. She does have the size for sure. You know, maybe she plays alongside Wickham and they're both kind of sort of initiating, but but really more kind of scoring for themselves. You know, she has a pretty good drive game, you know, probably not... That's the, I think the, the conundrum is she's not really a good enough shooter to play off the ball, but she's not quite really a point guard either. I don't think at least in, in kind of what, what I've seen from her. So if she's able to, to get any camp time and, and they're able to kind of get a decent look at her, I think she, she's probably a worthwhile player to, to keep around, but I, I'm not sure how much uh, of the offense she'll be running necessarily. Okay, and in, in contrast to Melbourne there, you know, Melbourne's a little shorter. Uh, Storm Roster has got some goofy heights. I think she's closer to 5'9 than 5'10, but regardless, like we said, she's 20 years old. Very explosive young point guard. A high-variance approach to the game, I would say. Like you said, she's a very creative passer. She's going to turn the ball over a lot, too. But um, what did you... You are a WNBL watcher, correct? Uh, the Canberra team she played for was not good this past season. They were 2-19, and but Melbourne comes very highly regarded in Australian basketball circles. And it, it does seem like they're kind of investing the future, at least the immediate future, in this young point guard who can do a lot of different things with the basketball. I mean, they were not 2-19 because of Jade Melbourne, I don't think. You know, this that was a team that was basically like playing without even a WNBL center for a lot of their season. Uh, but Melbourne, you know, she's, she's not a, a perfect point guard. You know, I, I think what probably made her a second round pick last year is that she's very interesting, but has, you know, kind of her own warts in her game. She's not the most efficient scorer in her own game. You know, I think she was maybe uh, 50% true shooting or, or maybe slightly below that in the WNBL last year. But, you know, she plays with great pace. You know, she, she's not one that's just going to kind of walk it up the court. A very, very creative passer. You know, her, her drive game is definitely to set up others first. But she can, you know, she can do a little bit off the bounce to, to score. Like you said, more explosive of the two. She's got some good quickness to her, some good shiftiness to her her drive game. Honestly, I think her handle is still going to have to improve a little bit for her to, you know, really 
be an effective WNBA, uh, WNBA point guard long-term. You know, she, she doesn't have like this amazing handle, but she's a, a really, obviously a great passer. You know, she noted to, you know, kind of stuff the stat sheet a little bit with the rebound. She had a triple double this year. I think, you know, she could definitely take her lumps early in, in this league. You know, she's not a finished product, but you compare her to another WNBL recent point guard, you know, she'll be able to at least get the ball over half court. We will definitely not. Uh, she's a pro, right? She's, she's should be able to stick around for a long time. Um, but if she comes in at like, you know, maybe 48% true shooting and a lot of assists, but also, you know, a pretty high turnover number, like th- I don't think that's going to surprise anybody at all. So I don't think she'll sort of be contributing to winning basketball right away. Like if I, I know the, uh, the organization has probably sort of come to peace with where this franchise is, you know, that's usually a little bit different than how the head coach approaches things. Like, I don't think if the head coach is, you know, trying to win games, Jade Melbourne will be in there to kind of close out games. Interesting. Okay. Would you like to go on to what they did in the draft? Because I think they made a few picks that people really like. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't think really it was expected for Jordan Horston to be there at nine. They also got a player who I think in Maddie Williams has been sort of like in and out of first round mocks or, or, or kind of a um, big boards over the last few years, you know, a, a player that stuck around for her fifth season. We'll start with Horston, obviously, but you know, what, what did you think of Horston and, and Williams and their other two draft picks also? Well, Horston, you're right. I was a little surprised to see her fall to nine. I can understand why. I think I'm a little lower on Horston than a lot of the, uh, the really sharp WNBA draft people on social media, but she's got some upside for sure. She's, I mean, first of all, she's got the size. She's six foot one, six foot two on the wing, which is automatically like a green flag for you. And she's got the athleticism to match it. Um, there are a few players who could get to the cup like she could when she was at, at Tennessee. Really quick off the bounce and with a unique finishing package too. You know, I think sometimes she kind of rushed her shots at the rim because she's just going so fast. But she can finish with either hand. Um, she can get there. She can body smaller people or smaller bigs at the rim. And she's just, she's got that crossover too. She's got a lot of shake off the bounce. In contrast to her her jump shot, you know, I think it's still developing. I I think one of the reasons why Horston may not have gone earlier in the draft is because there are a lot of concerns concerns about her off the basketball. I was one of the many people who had her mocked going to Dallas in the draft lottery. I think I could I understand why they didn't do that. Because her and Arike Gunbawale and Diamond Shields, there's just not a lot of off ball capability there. I think Horston could develop that sometime in the future, but right now her appeal is definitely as a perimeter athlete who is really quick off the bounce. And she can make plays for others, too. I think that's that's kind of what sets her apart from many of the other wing players in this draft class, besides maybe Haley Jones. She's an excellent passer and an excellent playmaker for her size. The one question I have is, can she make those decisions? Can she make good decisions with the basketball consistently at the professional level? Because it seemed like at Tennessee, her biggest weakness was just making lousy decisions with the ball. Like she was always a very high, high usage, high risk, high reward type of player. And again, that's another thing. I, I do think she's going to get a lot of minutes in her rookie season because they've basically got no choice, but she will take her lumps early on. I think just by getting in trouble and maybe making the wrong call with the basketball, but the potential reward, I think greatly outweighs whatever risk they're taking with Horston. You know, friend of the show, M. Adler, likes to note how, uh, I guess, the difference in Horston's individual efficiency once Tamari Key was, you know, no longer healthy and and there was kind of just a little, uh, there was just a little bit 
kind of less bodies in, in the paint at Tennessee, a little yeah. bit more spacing, a little bit more room for Horston to be able to, you know, uh, kind of attack and, and get by her defender and put some pressure on the rim without, you know, two kind of traditional bigs being there uh, who, you know, sort of expect the basketball to some degree. You know, I think Horston will probably run into a lot of those same problems in Seattle. You know, there's, unless you're playing maybe Teresa Plaisance or, or Jasmine Walker, heavy, heavy minutes or playing them together, you know, you're going to have at least one or two paint-bound centers who don't really bring with them a, a ton of gravity in Magbiger and Russell. And obviously, like, drafting Jordan Horston is not, what what is she going to do for us this year? Like, this is uh, a first-round pick with, with some pretty high upside. And, and you mentioned Haley Jones, you know, Horston, I think, you know, definitely a worse decision-maker than Haley Jones, but a player who you have no questions about whether she can actually just get by her her defender. Much, much, much better off the dribble. Yeah. yeah, unlike, you know, Jones, who's a great decision maker, but I think a big question outside of the shooting is like, can she just get by anyone? And, and Horston can definitely get by people for sure. So at nine, again, like you, I get maybe why she fell to that spot. There's, you know, we, we mentioned it before, but there was just a lot of players kind of in the same neighborhood, you know, wing players in this draft. Horston... I think you could make the case that her floor is is as low as any of them, but her ceiling is definitely higher than a lot of them in terms of what she could become if if it all comes together. I agree. Uh, and then Maddie Williams, who I loved at number eighteen, you mentioned she kind of drifted in and out of first round consideration, and it's 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 interesting because uh, she had her best season uh, at Oklahoma. I, I think you know her role was kind of scaled back a little bit in favor of increased efficiency. I mean, she shot better than 50% from the floor, almost 56% from two-point range as a fifth-year player at Oklahoma. And there's really no question, another player who, like, there's no question about her her athleticism translating. She's a terrific athlete on the perimeter. But uh, it's interesting because after so many players who you would think want, would go first round in this draft chose to go back to school, Williams still fell all the way to 18. But yeah, I think another great value for the pick. Again, another very explosive player with the ball in her hands. She's an absolute force in transition. Uh, she's going to make absolute hay in transition. She can definitely get to the rim. And she's got, she's one of those players who I would say has a has a nose for the basketball. For when, the, when there's a loose basketball or when a shot goes up, she can she can insert herself into the play when, when you don't think she's going to be there. Um, I think there is some concern about her playing smaller than she is. If, if, if you use that terminology, maybe you don't, but that's not great because I think she's already under she, six Yeah, feet. I was going to say she's kind of undersized for her position. She's anyway. undersized as it is, and I think she's going to be asked to play some small ball four for this team if she makes a team. I think she will. I would choose her over both Garantes and, and Kyla Charles, but she is going to have that ability to play the four. But again, is she going to be able to defend up? That's going to be a, que- going to be a big question because while she does, I think, have the athleticism and the overall offensive skill to maybe buoy this this transition to the WNBA defensively I think she's going to struggle early on because Oklahoma had pretty little in the way of a defensive ecosystem uh, and while her her steal numbers were consistently pretty good a lot of that has to do with just pace of play and you know the Sooners basically had to play a more havoc inducing defensive scheme which was not always effective so she's going to be another player who I think the learning curve is going to be pretty steep for it wouldn't surprise me if she has trouble getting off the bench early in the season but again, mid-second round, you, you're confronted with an athlete like this on the board. I think it's no question that you take a flyer on that. And if it works out, great. If it doesn't, okay, you roll the dice again next year. So 
Williams, you know, Oklahoma is a team that I kind of never really caught as much as I wanted to. You know, I've, I've seen her play a few times, but at six foot, I guess, what sort of makes her profile as more of a a four than a three? Is it more kind of like she doesn't have the lateral quickness defensively or is it like the shooting? Like, why does she kind of profile as sort of a, a small ball four? Uh, that's a good question. I think she does have the lateral quickness for sure. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the shooting. Another really athletic perimeter player who has questions about her jump shot. Although I think she is a better jump shooter than Horston is. Uh, I think she's got the strength to play there. But also, if you look at how this roster is built, if you're playing her at the three, there's just a lot to compete with. Um, obviously, they're invested in Horston, they're invested in Nurse, and then maybe Garantes and, and Charles and or Charles, whoever makes the team there. I think the route to consistent playing time is just there as a small ball four. Also, in college, she play a lot of small ball for really because they didn't Oklahoma didn't have much in the way of size so I think the transition for her is going to be just easier as a small ball for um, her ability to attack off the bounce while maybe not quite as good as Horston's I think it could be better exploited at the four which you can just basically get by whoever's guarding her as a larger defender of course she's gonna that's that's gonna be offset by probably poor defense at the four but again I think the route to consistent playing time is just more realistic at the four for Williams and the three Okay, maybe in a different situation, you know, maybe she would play more three, but... Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I would actually have more faith in her defending the three than I would the four, but we'll see how they play it. Um, what about their their other two draft picks? Any chance of them, I guess, kind of making some noise? Uh, Dulce, Fencom, Mengiadu, and Jade Lowville? Uh, Fencom, Mengiadu, I think... Hmm. I could see her making the team, just because, as we always say, WNBA teams love carrying more bigs than they really need to and again this well, is not a team that has like a million locks that you know you're really kind of just fighting for one last spot and that's what makes this interesting Stephen, because there aren't a lot of locks but there aren't really a lot of no hopers either um Louisville I don't think is going to make the team I think she's just there to compete on the perimeter because they've already got enough uh players with I think a little more offensive juice than she does but uh Dulce I think she could make the team um is she going to play much you know maybe she's very much a paint bound center who only has one season in Just what they need. career. Yeah, right, exactly. Who only shot above 50% from the field one season of her collegiate career, which is not great. Playing for South Florida, you know, maybe not the best level of competition. Uh, the rebounding numbers, terrific. 3.7 offensive rebounds per game. I think for her to get consistent playing time, she's going to need to prove that she can make plays on defense. Uh, she's about six foot four, but those block shot numbers, I mean, they're okay but they're probably not what you would look at, you are looking for of a player of her archetype. So is Mercedes Russell healthy? Is she ready to go? If not, I think Dulce could make some noise in training camp and make the team as a kind of like a last player off the bench sort of thing. But I'm not, I'm not as sure about this as I am Williams or Horston. Yeah. So just to kind of, I guess we could do a little bit of roster projection here. You know, they have their five, protected contracts they're five veterans in Whitcomb Lloyd Nurse Magmagore and Russell again that's what I think the starting lineup is Eric I think you maybe think they should go in another direction maybe start like a Teresa Plaisance or something give them a little more spacing yeah so for, for our notes um a little behind the scenes look here at, at what we do here uh, and the, the double down we both we both actually we kind of messed up <laughs> we both had our own uh, notes for this show uh prior to like yesterday when we were like oh crap we both have separate notes for this show um i had plays starting i think 
you know, she's not going to be a high usage player. And she's pr- she's definitely going to be, if she does start, I think she's going to be kind of phased out of the rotation later because, you know, I mean, she's not going to be a part of the team when the, the team is good again. She's had very significant injury history. I'm pleasantly surprised she's still in the WNBA, to be honest with you. But she does bring that uh, maybe a little bit of stretch for capability. You know, I, I'm kind of spontaneously combusting here using that terminology. But she is a player who can really get up the long ball as, as a front court player. In in contrast to a Magbagur Russell front court, you're just playing a little more modern, I think, with Plaisance on the floor than you are with Magbagur and Russell. Because if you're playing Magbagur and Russell, Stephen, the floor spacing is going to be very poor. Magbagur has shown glimpses of a three point shot, but certainly going to be a player where teams are going to expect her to beat them from out there than in the paint. And Russell almost purely paint bound as a center. So I think one of the strengths of this team is going to be how many players can attack off the dribble. But as you kind of alluded to when you're talking about Horston, that is greatly nullified if you have two paint-bound frontcourt players. If you have Plaisance out there, you can at least kind of have some optionality. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I it's funny because I, I don't think Plaisance will start. And I, I also disagree that she sh- maybe will be a player that gets phased out because she, I think, is sort of the the type of veteran, even if it's all going wrong, you know, if she is just the player that who, who she's supposed to be, she doesn't really take anything away from your developing, you know, the Horstins, the Melbournes, you know, she's really just there to kind of make things easier by standing, you know, being a a big player who stands behind the arc and and provides some spacing for, you know, it's not like she's like a a 26% usage player. um, But, you know, as a, a post player who got up eight threes per 36 minutes last year and, and hit them at basically 35%. You know, she's kind of the exact player who, and maybe that's even more of a case for her not starting is, you know, you kind of pair her with maybe those Jordan Horston, Arella Garantes minutes, or Jade Melbourne players who, you know, they, they could use all the WNBA spacing that, that they can get to kind of, you know, sort of find themselves at this level, you know, not playing alongside two centers who, you know, I think the Magbiger russell lineups, as much as we maybe stylistically don't like playing two centers and, and all the problems that bring offensively, like that's going to be a pretty good defensive combo. Uh, Magbiger, I think, just brings with you enough defensive versatility that you can kind of play those two centers. It's not like you're playing two Mercedes Russells and having one, you know, kind of chase fours around. I think it's a pretty good combination to have. But, you know, Plaisance, she's... She's an extremely one-dimensional player, right? Like what she does is is three-point shooting and, and not much else. She's, you know, pretty below average defensively. She's not really going to kind of crash the boards at all. So I think, I mean, I think this is a team who, when they're playing their starting lineup, which at least to start the season, you know, before kind of things go south enough for them to sort of shift into developmental role, like the Whitcomb, Lloyd, Nurse, Magwiger, Russell lineup, like I think that can be a pretty competitive you know, if they start off first and third quarters every game, pretty good. And, you know, maybe they struggle to score, but they could be pretty good defensively. Like, I, I could see that lineup really competing and then just having their bench get killed every single game. And, and that's sort of how they, you know. So kind of like last year, right? I mean, yeah, sort of, but like <laughs> not winning games, like losing games instead right. of winning, winning games, basically. A much more extreme version on the bench side and then, uh, you know, not as good on the starter side. But that's kind of the path. You know, Stephen. Now that you say, now that you mention it, looking at this roster again, I, I think you're right. I think Plaisance will play because there isn't nearly as much going on behind uh, Magwiger and Russell. You know, they don't really have a, a 
besides Magmaker, they don't really have a, a center or a power forward who they're investing in long term. So yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah, to sort of round out the the roster talk, you know, who will make the team? Plaisance and, and Yvonne Turner, I feel like are kind of in the same neighborhood as sort of you know, fringy WNBA players, you know, some years maybe they'll they'll play more than others. But Plaisance, I just feel like, is a little less replicated on this roster than Turner. You know, they just have more players who check the Yvonne Turner boxes than the Teresa Plaisance boxes. And, and of course, they, you know, signed Plaisance for, for more money, un, unprotected as it may be. So I think I think Turner will not make the team, and I think Plaisance will. Um, they also have, you know, a handful of sort of like, like we said, sort of second draft players, players that are, you know, not maybe not their first rodeo, but they're still young enough where they're a worthwhile flyer. I think Garantes, Charles Walker, maybe we can throw Doikic in that group as a 25 year old as well. Any of those players that you feel particularly strong about, you know, maybe keeping or not keeping? No, <laughs> I was actually going to ask you the same thing. I was going to ask you. Uh, if if you had to choose between Garantes and uh, Charles, which one would you pick? I mean, I, I think there's just a, a better chance that Garantes has something that she didn't show, and because she does have significantly more offensive skill than Charles does, I think. Yeah, I just I can't see a world where Charles is much different than she has been in in her previous stops. You know, she's she's at least been around for a couple full seasons. Um, Garantes is, you know, she's she's shown more overseas as sort of a creator uh you know i think her her passing game has really flourished she's still even in you know euroleague and overseas and playing for the puerto rican national team like she's still a player that is going to just take a lot of mid-range you know she's she's relying on a a heavy shot diet of, of pretty tough shots you know she's not getting kind of the best shots that that a player can get in terms of getting to the rim getting to the free throw line taking a lot of threes it's a lot of tough shots, but I think when you just look at who this, you know, they're, they really only need to cut, you know, four players. Lowville, we imagine, will probably be one. Charles and Turner, I think, are are two more. So then you're looking at just maybe one more of Maddie Williams, Arella Garantis, Jasmine Walker, Dulce Fancom, Mengiadu. Not a lot of, like, players that, that you feel either need to be on this roster or you know, our obvious candidates, it, it's probably either going to be Fanko Mangiadu or Jasmine Walker, I would imagine, as as the last cuts there, you would think. You know, Maddie Williams, I think we both feel has a pretty good chance of making the team. And of those sort of 25-year-olds, I think Garantis is probably the best bet there. But if, if Walker or Fanko Mangiadu end up making the team over one another, like, that would not really surprise me all that much. You know, maybe Walker... put it that way... Fanka Mangiato, I think, has a better chance than Walker does because if you're if you're kind of assuming that Williams makes the team, then you've got between her and Walker, that's they're base they're both probably gonna be playing more or less the same role, right? Like a small ball floor a small ball four. Yeah, but I mean maybe they can sort of project Walker to be, you know, a year from now, two years from now, what Teresa Plaisance is now, because that's sort of, you know, what we imagine her to be if if it comes together is sort of She's got a long way to go, though. A, a long way to go, as long we way. as we noted uh, in her previous stops. But a player that, if it all works out, she's going to be playing the four and, and taking a lot of threes from that position, which is probably a player that they need, given that they're, you know, two of their sort of franchise cornerstones are, are paint-bound centers. If if Walker can be the third big that plays alongside, you know, when you only have one center on the court and that player can take a ton of threes, you know, that that's a pretty useful archetype if she can just do that. Sure, sure. So I guess the other thing that we I just wanted to ask you, like, what what would be like 
you know, what is a successful season for this team? Because they obviously want to get a high draft pick. They do have players that you would hope you kind of see something from, and they have, you know, a first team all league caliber player in, in what's going to be a role that she's, you know, even in 2019, you know, that team had Natasha Howard, who was, you know, probably considered sort of the the star on that team by the end of the year. Even that was kind of different than what we're looking at here. So, I mean, what what would be a successful 2023 season for the Seattle Storm? I I, I want to say it's going to be more critical what happens next offseason than what happens during this season, but that's not what you asked. Um, I think you need to do, first, first things first, you need to do whatever you can to convince Julie to stay. I think you would agree with that. Um, whether that's giving her the keys to the offensive engine and letting her play 34 minutes per game on a really bad team. Sorry to sort of interrupt mid-conversation, but would you have traded Jewel Lloyd if you were in this circumstance that they're in right now? Ooh, that's a good question. Because they are risking her leaving for nothing now. But at the same time, I have to think that they considered this uh, the previous offseason when they chose to core her instead of Brianna Stewart, right? Yeah, but at that time, they... They could bring the whole band back together. Now that's yeah. you know now that Brianna Stewart is on another team and Sue Bird is retired, you know now you're kind of it's a different calculation. I think what what would a realistic trade package for Jewelite look like? Do you think? I mean, do you, probably do you think like you'd be able to get another lottery range 2024, 2025 first round pick. I think that's definitely at minimum the asking price. You know, it's it is funny how. You know, there was basically no sort of linear progression for what WNBA players were were traded for. You know, Alicia Gray netting, you know, much better return than Jonquil Jones. So you just, I think the players have kind of, you know, more leverage in in sort of being on one and two year deals where, you know, you can just say like, you know, don't trade for me. I'm not going to resign for you. You know, I want to go to this team or this team basically and that sort of you know, whatever that team has to give up is, is kind of what, what you can do. But if you're, you know, thinking about moving on from basically your, your all league guard after losing what, what else you've lost as a franchise, you, you have to be kind of looking at the next two drafts and getting some very high upside talent there. But because the teams that are sort of going to be in that range, they probably won't be in the Jewel Lloyd sweepstakes. You know, what, what does a team that's projected to be you know, a lottery pick two years from now, what what good does trading for Jewel Lloyd do for that team? You know what I mean? Yeah, so that's a good point. I think, you know, you probably just... Jewel Lloyd is a player that can play with anybody that you end up getting in the 2024 first round draft, you know, especially because those players, they don't really... The best of them don't really profile as a two. You know, if you get an elite primary creator, a Caitlin Clark, a Paige Beckers, if you get a Cameron Brink, you know... Those, those, she can play with any of them. She's, yeah, yeah right. exactly. I mean, she can play multiple positions. She can play on or off the ball. Um, and she's, you know, when we talked about the fever, we, we talked about how it might be tough to check the same box of getting the best offensive initiator on your perimeter as well as, you know, a stout stopper because Kelsey Mitchell just isn't a very good defensive player. Jewel Lloyd can defend. You know, she's had all defense caliber seasons. You're not trying to sort of, shoehorn the same type of player that fills so many boxes i think with with jewel lloyd as maybe some other twos so i mean i'm with you i and that you you want to do everything you can to make sure that jewel lloyd is sticking around for the next and what is what does that look like i think that's that's kind of what i'm wondering because if you look at what the chicago sky did they are not really exactly keeping it a secret that 
Kalia Copper, she is heavily involved in, in these roster making decisions. I have to think that Jewel Lloyd, they're, they're going to want her input. They're going to say, hey, if, if you resign here and you're going to be the face of this team moving forward, you know, you're going to help us make roster decisions. Who do you want to play with? That happens pretty often in the WNBA. Yeah, I think that's probably true that you, you sort of seek some input there. But at the same time, I mean, with Chicago, that also led to some less than ideal roster building decisions. Well, we don't so. know if Jewel Lloyd is going to be the same GM that Kalia Copper has. So only the Storm know that. Uh, but to get back to, I guess, the, the question here, definitely keeping, you know, Jewel Lloyd happy and, and bought in for the long term. Anything else I think that would sort of define what a, a good season is for them? Um, I think just establishing some kind of identity because you are more or less starting with a blank slate here. Of course, you do have an all WNBA caliber player in Lloyd and a defensive player of the year candidate in Magbiger. But aside from that, there's a lot of different ways you can take this. Um, I think the main key is just going to be establishing some sort of culture moving forward, some sort of infrastructure. Does that mean, you know, uh, playing your rookies a ton? Maybe, maybe not. But if, if you want to say, I think, I think the obvious answer would be, okay, you want to develop Horson, you want to develop Williams, you want to continue developing Magbiger. And yes, I agree with that. But I think looking at the big picture is also important because you want to make sure this is, I mean, let's be honest, Steven, you just lost a legendary point guard, a legend in the making in Brianna Stewart, maybe the best player in the league. You got to convince, you know, the fans to stay, you got to convince players in the future that this is still an organization that people want to play for. And you got to, you know, keep your reputation up around the league. Um, that may sound kind of like surface level analysis, but I think there's something to that. Um, like you said, the Storm are a pretty healthy organization, but they need to do something to keep that rolling. Um, and they're confronted with a pretty difficult season coming up, and you got to play that right. I don't think you can afford to go scorched earth here. The other thing that might be a little bit of a consideration for this team, and not that she's, you know, a franchise changing level player, but, you know, just kind of playing to the level of competency where Gabby Williams doesn't just look at this situation as like, well, why would I want to go back there? Like this is, this team is just like losing every game by 15 points. You know, they're not really close to being a competitive team. You know, one, one more, I think above average WNBA player can, can do a lot of good when this team sort of takes the next step and, and gets, you know, maybe one more court, sort of blue chip player in there. But you know, if there are, if it doesn't really seem like they're that close, maybe that's a different calculation for Williams as well. But you know, just having enough positive flashes for Melbourne and Horston, I think those are kind of the two young players coming in that you feel like, you know, if, if nothing else shakes out right for this offseason, like these are two players that are at least one of them are going to be kind of on the next good storm team. So, you know, getting enough positive flashes from them that you feel like you have something moving forward. If Mercedes Russell is able to kind of get back to herself, that, that's a big one. That That's definitely a big one. You know, she's She's not kind of the the offensive star that you get from the center position a lot, but she's a really, really good player. And just kind of losing games in, in a competitive fashion, you know, giving the fans something to be kind of optimistic about moving forward, but still kind of chalking up enough losses to not take yourself out of the lottery, which I, I don't think will be a problem for them. And then, you know, if one of your kind of young 25-year-old second draft players work out, you know, Garantes maybe or or Charles or, or Doikic, you know, that's great. That's a great plus. I'm not sure if it would be a defining attribute to the, whether this is a successful season or yeah. not. But, you know, certainly if you can walk away with one more kind of long-term rotation player out of that group of, you know, four players or so, that's awesome. You know, maybe if Azie Magbiger is able to kind of expand her offensive game a little bit more at all, you know, show something from behind the three-point line or a little bit more of a face-up game, 
that's a great plus. Not sure that's something that I think is kind of worth counting on, but but might be, uh, I guess, you know, again, just an extra sort of bonus if, if it happens to come true. It's interesting that you bring up Russell because do you think she's going to be a part of this team moving forward? I mean, she had those that very scary, in my opinion, very scary last couple seasons injury-wise. Um, if, if she is healthy, do you think they kind of re-up her? I, I just Even don't she's really not like think, a starting level player. Yeah, I just don't really think there's that much of a purpose of having both her and Ezzy Magbiger and Because Magbiger has pretty much usurped her in terms of, oh, this is the center of the future. I think so, yeah. And Magbiger is, you know, she's younger, obviously. I think she just brings with her, you know, Mercedes Russell, I think, is very good at what she's very good at. But Magbiger is just a little, she brings with her a little bit more defensive flexibility, even if she's not sort of a five out offensive center. She can be a five out defensive center and, and maybe that is kind of more important. But they're, you know, they're basically on the same timeline. They'll they'll both be up after the the twenty four season. The other thing is that neither of them really profile as sort of like a third big, right? I think they're both maybe the storm don't feel this way, but they're both basically strictly centers unless there's just major changes out of, you know, Ezzy Magbiger's offensive game. You don't want them playing at the four. Because you're just not going to have the spacing. Uh, it's just not going to be a, a very good offense. And I think, you know, that's sort of what this team is, is looking at is a lot of sort of crunched offensive space. And, and I think, honestly, this might be the, the team that just has the, the worst shot diet in the WNBA. I think they're just going to wow. they're just gonna live off long twos. I mean, look at who the players are that might make the roster here. Like, Jewel Lloyd is, you know, she's awesome at making mid-range jump shots, but she's going to take a lot of them and... She's had good seasons getting to the rim, but it's been in kind of better offensive ecosystems than this one. Jordan Horston is going to take a ton of mid-range jump shots, I think. Kia Nurse, she's not going to have the, again, sort of the offensive ecosystem to just kind of be like a a three-point or layup type player. You know, we've seen her in situations where she has to force a lot of mid-range shots that that don't go in too much. And and they have Arella Garantis, who is going to, I think, make the team and probably take a ton of mid-range twos. Is that crazy to say that they're... I mean, who on this roster is going to get to the rim? I know you you mentioned that they have a lot of players who can attack off the bounce, but I don't think that really materializes in getting all the way to the rim. Well, especially if you're playing two centers at the same time. That's that's just going to be difficult. Um, and if your overall floor spacing is is lousy, then yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a challenge. Yeah, I wonder if they can maybe just like punt some of those second unit lineups and, and play a plaisance at center with maybe, you know, like a, a Maddie Williams as the well, four or something. Yeah. I mean, everything, literally everything is on the table here for this season. Okay. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, uh, you can do so by following rating and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at double down WNBA. You can follow Eric at Nemchok E or myself at Trinkwald. And, uh, just two teams left, Eric. All right, we are nearing the finish line here with our season outlooks. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your fandom, as always. Uh, Take care, and we will talk to you next time.